This is a global original podcast. Hi and welcome to Confessions of a Modern Parent. The podcast where my husband Mark and I discuss the challenges, difficulties, frustrations and ultimately the joys of being parents and step-parents to four wonderful, talented, beautiful daughters aged between 25 and 12. Right, guys, that's a big one today. We ask an enormously simple question, and it's enormously simple because it's all about ego and not ego. And what, what, what is it about? Why do we have children? It's yeah, big, isn't it? It is. And we had so many comments sent in as well. And it was so nice because before we start these conversations, we always have a sit down, don't we, yeah. and a coffee, and read through everybody's um, everybody's comments. And our, we just we just love it. Yeah. We just love that you're getting in touch so much. And I just wanted before we get started with the proper chat there's one from donna which i want to lead with because i had two moments of madness and haven't been sane since <laughs> but how many of us Thanks could say that, that? here we are yet again in our hovel you're in our hovel we're happy in our hovel i'd be happier in a studio oh no god we miss it i'd be happier with a nice microphone are we ever going to be able to get back in a studio i don't know again? what's the situation when can we go in god knows um, okay, so today we have a really massive subject and deceptively complicated subject. Uh, and it's a subject that kind of evolved out of our book that was published last week, Honey, I Homeschooled the, the Kids. And um, it's a deceptively simple question. What is it, Nadia Swaller? Well, it was funny because we, we, you know, we started off writing our book, didn't we, as more of a practical guy, mm. and it actually became a very personal sort of... a. a, a a study mm. on, on all that is parenting. Um, and the ones that really stymied us that, that when we got to the chapters were um, how do you measure success? Which how do you is, know your child is successful? Which is an, an entire podcast Plus, in itself. In itself. But what came out of that, because my whole thing is, you know, that I really had to question how much of my ego was involved in what the you know what the the standardized measurements of success are with mm. the child and how much was i chasing that because how much of that was how i wanted other people to perceive me as a mother mm. as a woman and and therefore my children as well so things then, like things like peer pressure even peer for a pressure parent, yeah. yeah huge i think there is huge, huge that's another whole podcast it is really peer pressure between parents yeah um and so we had a long chat about that, didn't we? Now, out of that came a really lovely chapter, I think, in the book. But but then from that conversation, we then moved into, well, why do we have children? Yeah. How much of it is about ego? Now, first and foremost, I have always loved babies. If I go right. back to when my first moment of thinking that I wanted to be a mother... Um, Lots of young children get irritated by other young children, and I never did. If I right back to square one, I wanted to be a mum. I remember having a maternal instinct from a very young age. And I think that's tied up with the fact that I come from a very big family. So mm. at a, a very young age, I was always holding a cousin, you know, jigging a baby on my I thought you were going to say holding a custard. <laughs> Sometimes holding <laughs> custard. And... and don't get me wrong, my family, like all families, has all its trials and tribulations, you know, but um, the love that I felt from a big family and the safety that I felt from being within a tribe went into my very marrow of my bones. And mm. so from that, I think 
that was partly, it was just destiny. You know, I was going to have children. I was going to have a big family. I was going to have lots of people around the table. We were going to be breaking bread together. And we were gonna, so that on that very sort of instinctive sort of, um, yeah, yeah, just instinctive way, I wanted to be a mother. Um, from but a then very I think young he, age. From, from a, a very, very young, young age, age. Yeah. So in many ways, what you're saying is you wanted to recreate or reflect that experience you had as a child mm. for yourself. Yeah, I, th- I suppose sense. that just by osmosis went in and that mm. was the way of things mm. and that was what was going to happen. And that's why I'm always very mindful with our girls that I never say, when you have children, like it's an absolute fait accompli, because you never know what's going to happen. Your child might not want children, your child might not be able to have children. And I think we do tend to, and I think we do this a lot more with girls than with boys, that this is the destiny. Mm. <laughs> It's not for everybody and it's okay to not want children. And I think we have to be really careful about the way that we question women that don't have children. Mm. But I felt none of that. I felt really happy with this instinct that I had and... um, and you know that was my early life. What was your earliest? When did you? Can you when did you? Well, that's why. Think? That's why I was curious to, to to sort of describe yours as as your desire to have children or your belief that you would have children as a sort of continuation of something that you had. Mm. I mean, I remember as a child. Obviously, I don't want to go on about it. I talk about it too often. But you know, it was a very solitary childhood, and um, within that solitude, there were some benefits insofar as I didn't have to compete with anyone else. Um, you know, and yet at the same time, I always felt a huge longing for siblings, um, or a longing certainly for an older sister, very, very specifically. Um, and so I did at a young age think to myself, I definitely want children. It was a definite thought. I mean, Do you I'm, know what I'm, kind of age? Um, probably around the time I first had a girlfriend, um, you know, I mean, you know, it's funny you should say that there were babies around. There were no babies around yeah. when I was a child. I was, mm. the, I was the baby of the family for a long mm. time, which is kind of my saviour and a curse because, of course, it meant that that's how my nan and why my nan and granddad uh, swooped in to kind of look after yeah. me for so much because there was no one else competing for their affection. So yeah. I was very much in this curious... When you, re- when you read into, listeners, uh, the nature of... <laughs> deep codependency. Well, I remember reading a paragraph once which described the chronic codependent as having extraordinary neglect coupled with moments of extreme possession. Mm. And that's exactly what I had. And yet there was never any other children there. There were never babies. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't remember holding one. I don't remember smelling one. I don't remember seeing one. All oh. that stuff, you know, at all. Can you remember the first time you held a baby then? Not at all. It was probably my cousin. It was probably my cousin Jessica. It, yeah, when I was about 14, 15, 16. And right. I think that came I around... That's the... the case for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, some people I've spoken to have said, I never held a baby until I had my own baby. Yeah. That must be petrifying. Sure, sure. Oh, right, yeah, that must be strange. God. Because uh, I immediately knew how to pick up a baby, how to hold yeah. it, how to jig it, how to... Yeah. But in the abstract, I mean, I was never thinking, oh, I'll be a dad. But I do remember, you know, it's, it's, it's the benefit of hindsight, isn't it? When I look back, I think I was longing for elements of company. But, but actually, I also wasn't longing for elements of company too. Um, but, then when I went, but then when I got a bit older, I think I did that. I don't know, is it a classic male thing or not? But I, I did that thing where I thought to myself, yeah, I want kids. I want a family. But I almost now, as I say that, can remember thinking it. I remember walking down Forest Hill around Forest Hill, just prior to my to Izzy's mum giving birth. And I remember thinking to myself, and she was pregnant, I remember thinking to myself, this wasn't part of the plan, I was 23. I thought, I was definitely thinking about having kids when I was in my early 30s. 
And I remember thinking that and feeling a huge betrayal to a decision we'd at that point both collectively made, that we were going to have this baby. Um, and I, it, that was the point at which it kind of stood in front of me, that I had had a plan of sorts. Perhaps I hadn't thought consciously about it because it just, it just literally hadn't presented itself until now. But I do think in the abstract, I was thinking I'd have a family in my 30s. Never for a minute queried why I wanted a family mm. beyond that. That mm. was it. It was kind of, it was another part of the narrative. Would I get married? Me and Izzy's mum weren't married. We were having a baby. You know, we didn't have a house. We were about to buy a house. You know, it sits there alongside those three, three huge things in a life, mm. isn't it, really? House buying, marriage, having a baby. Mm. Um, and in many regards, at that point in my life, because I had my, my main way to rebel against my mum's chaos, if you like, very creative chaos, was to be quite conventional. Mm. And so in many regards, I think the decision that kind of came into my decision to have, uh, the background to my decision in having a child, or that was in there, was a degree of this runs against, this is a bit rebellious in its own way. It's rebellious because it's quite conservative. Mm. Um, and yet I was only three years older than my mum was when she had me, you know. Mm. So, we, you know, in my lineage, there's young parenting, whereas for yeah. you, obviously, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really, yeah. Well, I don't know. And if you look at my lineage of my dad's family, God knows how young the poor... No, but I mean, in terms of you, I mean, I was... A dad, I suppose when we're having this conversation, you know, me and parenthood happened at 23, whereas you and parenthood as a thought. But that's to say, just because you had a child when you were, what, 36 or whatever it was? No, 39. 39. Was that when, how old you were when you had Maddie? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, obviously, you'd had many thoughts about it before. And I think looking at some of the comments that people have given have left today about this... So much of the narrative, or so, such a big part of the narrative in many people's decision or eventuality of having children, isn't necessarily planning, but it's many sort of either failed attempts or wanting to meet the right person and all that kind of thing. So what were the kind of constituent elements that had to be right for you? Did they have to be well, right? Well, be before, before I talk about that, I just want to move on from where I was as a child, that I was a very... I, I just had this natural instinct and this was going to happen and there was no question of it and this was going to be my life and um, all of that. Then I went into... I had a fairly chaotic decade or two, I would say, through my teens, 20s, 30s you know I was in in some ways I was living the dream I was doing whatever I wanted I was very much the party girl um I I you know so many late nights so much drinking all that stuff now that I bitterly bitterly regret but that's how it was um and I kept going back and forth to this idea of of wanting a child so it was there but it wasn't a driving force. Though everybody I met, I've never been the sort of person that just dated people. You know when people say, oh, I'm going out with this person. I think of my friend Lee. He goes, I'm going out with them. I'm not sure if I like them. I don't know if I'm going to... And I th so, so you're going out with them again? And we'd go, yeah, yeah. Like, if I didn't like someone, I wouldn't go out with them again. Mm, you know. So anybody enough. that I went out with, I would always think about will this be the person that I'll end up with? Will be, this be the person that I would have children with? And, um, you know, it was always no. I mean, every if I'm honest, everybody I was with did want to, you know, get together and have children. You know, all the relationships that I had, everybody wanted to have children with me, but it was never the right relationship and it never felt right and I didn't think that they were the right sort of person and all of that. Um, 
then as you get older, as I got older, it kind of changed that wanting for a baby. It was, I went through a really intense time where I thought, oh God, maybe I'm not going to have one. And I never thought about, oh, I'll raid sperm or I'll have IVF or I'll do... That was never mm. a thing for me. So I'd started to just accept that I wasn't going to have a baby and that that was going to be something that I was okay with. But tied into that was also that I would just carry on life exactly as it was and I would die young. That's how I used to think. Mm. I'll drink really heavily, I'll party the whole time, I'll be a bit of an idiot and I'll flit about and I'll just have a great life and I'll probably be dead when I'm about 50, 55. That's what I thought. Mm. And then obviously we met and... uh, but, but, but just before that, it was quite interesting that, that that I then just stopped the idea of having children, but didn't become frantic about having them, didn't become desperate about having them. But but if you think about what I've just said, I also accepted that I was just going to die young. Very bizarre. Very so bizarre. I didn't think, oh, God, I, I feel like there's no point to my life, so I'm going to have a baby. I just thought, oh, I'll carry on this trajectory and I'll die in my 50s. Yeah. And that's quite, quite, I was quite settled with that. I was fine with that. It was weird. I mean, we've sometimes I used the... I actually dis- think about that because when we, we knew we were going to talk about this this morning and I've been thinking about it through the morning and I was thinking, that's where I was actually at. Oh, I'll just die young. Mm. <laughs> not, not, I'll try and have a baby by any means or I'll adopt a child or I'll do this. I did have a moment of thinking I would adopt. But I think because I come from such a, a, a loving family with a mum and dad that are still together. They row and all of that, but they but they love each other and they like each other and they spend a, a lot of time together. Mm. Um, I I didn't really want to have a baby on my own. You know, when I, when I took, you know, friends of mine who are single parents and when I hear it, I just think they're the most extraordinary people because I just think it would... I find it scary being a mum anyway. Mm. I would find it really scary if I'd been a single parent. I'm just not that sort of a person. Mm. So, yeah, so then when we met and I... On my list of never-evers was I would never, ever marry a man that already had children. And I think we spoke about this previously when we spoke about step-parenting in a Mm. previous conversation. And then I saw you and I saw you with your kids and though you were having a very difficult time, I did see that you were a really good dad as well. Mm. Um, So, you know, we got together, we fell in love, we had a baby and, yeah, that felt... I I still can't quite believe it. But you say that, it's funny because you kind of move through that part of it really swiftly and yet when you describe the build-up to it, I'm left as a sort of objective listener thinking, crikey, how did that resolution happen so swiftly? I mean... In many regards, we sort of describe our relationship or certainly the way we came together as something like in a, you know, a beautiful disaster or whatever it was, the phrase you used when you were talking about A Star Is Born. You know, you were on a trajectory of self-harm, though you weren't necessarily, you know, as active or defined an alcoholic. You were very much leading a chaotic lifestyle that was not serving you well mm. and you were hurting yourself. Um, I, likewise, was, you know, had been on this chaotic whirlpool of a life drive for on and off all sorts of moments and I think when we met it was kind of 
a little bit of not last chance saloon insofar as I think you saw something in me and I saw something in you that perhaps both of us thought we weren't going to be able to do anything about. I mean, I very much was coming at the situation and this feeds into why do we have children? Because of obviously the, the whys and wherefores of all four of my daughters are all incredibly different in different mm. ways. Um, you know, with the first two girls, with Izzy and Fleur, both in different instances, I felt crushing failure, a huge crushing failure that I had dropped the ball in terms of creating a secure and solid foundation or family, the very thing that I'd craved or thought I'd craved when I was a child. Um, you know, I, I didn't provide that for Izzy. Uh, the situation with Fleur felt very out of my control and I likewise didn't provide that for Fleur. And, you know, I tried my best with both of them in different ways over the years, but I was forever in a, in a place of feeling a distinct sense of failure a distinct sense of I could never reach to the lofty heights of parenting that I had set myself or I had imagined myself actually capable of. And so I was doing myself a disservice. And, and although I stayed in their lives, I was, you know, I was not happy in the way that I was in their lives. So when we came to it and I saw that you wanted to be, I saw obviously that you were an incredibly, as you saw in me something about me with my children, I saw something in you, in your attitude to my children that I liked and I loved. Uh, and I, I suppose I did see another opportunity, a meaningful opportunity, with someone who was kind, um, if herself a little bit chaotic and batshit crazy, uh, to to potentially do this thing and potentially have a child. But that, I suppose in but a way... Then weird... I think when, when, we, when we both had... When, when we both wanted a child, I think we were probably both coming from a similar place. We wanted to have somebody we wanted to love a child mm. we wanted to bring up a child we wanted a child i wanted to have a child that i could help feel safe and feel loved and all these things that i think are what most people drives people at the beginning but what i'm interested in is when does it the peer pressure that comes in and that and that's what we talk about in honey i homeschool the kids isn't it that it gets, it can get a bit twisted up, mm. and you can lose the direction, really, almost. Mm. And the world comes in, and I know the world has to come in, and I know that we live in a, in a, you know, a Western society, a capitalist society, and all of those politics start to influence the way that you're bringing up your child and you move further away from instinct and it becomes more about what the world wants you to have produced, mm. whether that's within your within your group or within your family or within the wider world or within your community or with at work, and you're suddenly trying to produce something for other people. Yeah, I mean, that's the world, the, the world that's, quite quickly... This is the bit of the conversation that, quite, that, I, that I'm fascinated in, and well, we've seen so much of that sort of crumble around people's ears with the, with what's happened through lockdown. Well, the world turns children and parents into assets very mm. quickly. I mean, you're turned into products, you're turned into assets of the system, you know. And, you know, it, there are all sorts of cultural, economic, social reasons and pressures put on us to have children and to have children in a certain way and to bring children up in a certain way and to educate them, which is why we talk about it in a homeschooling book. The weird thing is, is that, as you just said then, I wanted to bring a child into the world that we could love and make feel safe or happy. Now, if you want to get really mucky in that, and what I find really interesting and challenging about the simplicity of asking the question, why do we have children? 
if you don't have a child at all, you don't run the risk of failing in that mission. Hmm. And I would go so far as to say that, you know, it's the standard line, isn't it, from how many parents of teenagers listening to this and how many teenagers listening have perhaps said this, I didn't ask to be born. Hmm. And it's a very trite, throwaway kind of phrase. It's often, you know, chucked in when you've asked, told them they're treating the place like a hotel, all those kind of cliches. But within it, there is something very meaningful hmm. because... They haven't actually no, asked to be that's born. That's why I hate it when I hear people say, you know, well, I brought you into this world. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, that I just think the, that's yeah, just awful. That could be the worst said, thing that's happened for yeah, this child, actually, exactly, being brought into this world. Exactly. But if you go into that in more detail, I start to get as giddy and as, as a sort of vertigo-y as I do when I stand at the top of a high-rise high block of flats because I start to... All of my certainty starts to fall away. All of my sense of kind of coherence and meaning around being a parent and why I've been a parent starts to fracture a little bit like a Christopher Nolan film, Tenet, if anyone's seen it. It's a bit like that. Things go backwards, things go forward. I start to think... Because I start to ask myself, actually... Is it ever and always, and is it a received wisdom, and is it a corporate pressure that we are told that having a child is the, is a good thing? Mm. Who says it's a good thing? Mm. Who says? I'm not talking about taking away life. I'm not talking about the rights of life. I'm talking about the very concept mm. of bringing another life well, into well, the world. Well, because I think just as human beings, we are just we are programmed to keep the human race going. So we are programmed with an instinct. To do it, but then it has become a commodity. I mean, it, 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 yeah, but that instinct, that instinct, there's the maternal instinct Mm. that comes up a lot in people's conflict. There's the paternal instinct, you know, at that point, if it's an animalistic, if it's a primal urge, if it's a need to to continue the population and what have you, uh, if it's something beyond the specifics of what we are, right at the beginning, yeah, mine was a primal urge, right? And then what I'm interested in is. And I think it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think it was an innocent, beautiful yeah. thing that flowed through me with, you know, with such ease. But where does it get twisted up? Mm. Where does it become the house, the car, the kid, the sure. dog, sure. the designer shoes? The minute, the minute it's in a we, McLaren, the minute we, it's in a pram. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, because it's huge industry as well, isn't it? We we just don't know where those joins but I do think it's an interesting question to ask yourself is like how have you changed over the years yeah because I think with that you can get more clarity about where maybe you're doing things that you actually don't want to do you know I mean and again in our book when we talk about to GCSE or not to GCSE it's a huge question for everybody to ask themselves setting aside you need you might need your maths and English to get into the college, to then get the A-levels, to then get... But all the other stuff, when you are yearning for your child to bring home an A-star, how much of that is about your child and how much of that is about saying, I did such a good job? And you have been dictated to by a for- another force mm. on how to measure what your child is and Mm. what you, with your child, have created. Because you are trying to create a good human being or play a part in it because they're not yours, they come through you. And I just think a lot of the time we're being sold a pup for all kinds of other reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would go so far as to say this is really interesting. It's just dawned on me. I 
think that, in fact, most of the problems or difficulties that develop between parents and teenage children, and let's face it, that is pretty much the defining feature of a parent and teenager's relationship, mm. is trouble, strife, difficulty, lack of communication, mm. why won't they talk to me, why are they so insular, what's going on in their heads... It goes to the very heart of what this fake narrative is we've been mm. sold about being a parent is. Mm. You're right. Let's put to one side the primal instinct. Let's assume that the primal instinct and the primal urge is a pure urge. It's born. It's not born of evil or good. It's mm. just a... It's like a... It's like... It's like, like breathing. It's, it's of the universe. Yeah. yeah. But once you get, fe you know, fettered and sort of your wings clipped and battered and you start to be put in a context of where you live, who you live with, what your class is, what culture you're in, what, you, what your wealth mm. is, all that mm. kind of stuff, mm. it starts to change and change and change. I would go so far as to say that the problems in between pa parents and teenagers is all about is all about the chaos of being a human coming right to the foreground mm. of that relationship because as a parent you're faced with these creatures that were your dependents and what's going on here is they're no longer your dependents you're but you've losing still got control to try and bend them you've yeah, got to you're try losing and bend control them and it's a moment where you you have to you have to relinquish control or do you relinquish control and that's why and in a in a in a weird way you could say that the battlefield of teenagehood and parenthood is precisely where the chaos of parenting manifests itself it's where it happens it's a, it's a moment where you go what is the meaning of this? Because you have got kids walking around saying, I didn't ask for this. You have got a sense mm. of that within within a generation. Nihilism creeps in. They make such dangerous choices. They make dangerous mm. risks. They want to rebel. I, I was thinking the other day, and I thought, my God, I wonder how different Maddie would have been if she's been at school. Because she does often say to us, doesn't she, she would have just done everything. She would yeah. have done everything, yeah. every good, bad, and in the middle girl did to be accepted and to be in the group. And the other day we were just having a bit of a chat, weren't we? And I said, you know, what what does drive you? I mean, do, do you want a big house? Do you want a car? Oh, nothing. Nothing like that. I don't want any of that. It just doesn't interest me at all. I don't want flash holidays. Yeah, I don't want a big yeah. house. I don't want a big car. And I was like, I felt so warm inside. And it really made me think. I had a real epiphany because I thought where we were with them years ago yeah. was buying them an education a private education and i was seeing you know she'll have this sort of a life and yeah. she'll have this sort of a house and we she'll have this to pin sort it all of a down. car because we wanted to feel safe yes it's not about part of it's about showing off and saying this is where my yeah, kids yeah, have got yeah. to but it's also about if they have money and if they yeah. have a big house and if they have a big car well <laughs> That doesn't leave you free from anxiety no. and give you a meaningful, creative life. And actually, if all four of the girls end up living a life that is a very simple life yeah. in a very simple home... Alternative. ..with heat, with light, with food, mm. and doing something that makes their heart sing, I will go to my grave happy. Yeah, you're because right. Actually, if I go back to the purity when I was a small child holding another small child and seeing the small child happy and playing with them and seeing how they reacted, that's actually yeah. why I wanted a child. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so fucking grateful that we did what we did. Yeah.
I mean, and also to the point that, you know, I often, it breaks my heart when I, you know, have a chat with my eldest and, and she'll say things like, are you proud of me? And it's like, well, you know, I always try to reiterate that my pride comes around how happy she is, around yeah. how satisfied she is about how she's managing to look after herself within this incredibly comparative culture. And that's yeah. the problem. You're right. When we were sending them to school, when we were looking at all that, not in a kind of I want them to have assets no, and I want them to be wealthy. No, but I didn't even know I was thinking No, I like didn't that. know I was it thinking was it. was I didn't know I was thinking And this it. isn't about going to school. No, Again, no, 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 we never no. want to sound like we're anti-school because no. we're not. We're just talking about our situation. Yeah. We were on a trajectory that we had no idea we were on. Mm. We were whipped up by a force greater than ourselves and we were just paddling for something. Mm. Like, And we I, we lost our way with our instinct. Now, uh, we could have had this epiphany and they were in school and we would have and we would have adjusted that. This, this, but it just so happens that we took our kids out of school and it helped us but see what we see. I'm seeing clearer every day and actually lockdown has helped me see yeah. more... It has supercharged my the clarity for me on what's evolving for our kids now, having us taken the foot off the accelerator of like, this is the way you're going. I, I know I've said this before. I've, not, I've nearly finished. I know I've said this before, so please forgive me, listener, But if you've heard this before. But my child, in the sweetest, softest, most gentle voice, screamed her head off at me at the top of her voice and I didn't hear her. And that was three, four years ago when I said to her, she's born on Christmas Day, so it's her birthday and Christmas, and three, four years ago, maybe it was longer than that, actually, maybe it was five years ago, I said to her, so what do you want for Christmas? And she said, oh, nothing, thanks, Mum. I went, no, 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 but what do you want for Christmas? Mm. No, 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 Mum, I don't want anything. I said, yeah, but come on, there's got to be mm. something that you want. Went to work that day, told my friend this, who's quite a... She, she lives a much more simple life. She's a proper, like, proper person, not like me. And she was like, oh, you must listen to her. She said to you she doesn't mm. want any more stuff. Mm. Do you know what I did, listener? I completely ignored her. Yeah. And I bought her stuff because it's Christmas. Yes. And we've worked hard. Yeah. And it makes us feel good when you we buy you a load of presents. Yeah. Now, her the other day saying I have no care for the material material world was just like, oh, my God, mm. I feel so happy about that, that we managed not to completely ruin her, even though and I hasten, way we I hasten, tried. I hasten to add that that isn't because they've gone for... They've had everything bought for them, though we yeah. have both tried to, but they, 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 they're not... It's not like they have horses in paddocks and none of that sort of stuff. No. It's a very... They have very sort of humble... A poster or a sticker on a wall is their thing. But... You know, some people would say, this is all well and good. This is brilliant hippie talk. This is all kind of very, you know, it's all out there. It's kind of like, you know, the happiness of our children. We've talked a lot in various areas about why it seems almost a dirty word or, or a bad thing to say that your priority for your children is that they're happy. Oh, my God, what do you mean happy? Well, of course we want them to be happy, but we want them to be happy within context. And I can hear my grandmother from her grave saying at this point, yes, but you have to be part of the system. You can't, however much you don't want to be in the system, you have to be part mm. of the system. And, you know, it's you've got to that's bear that in mind. That's the system working really well. well. No, no, but that's the system <laughs> working really that. well. Ah, but here's the thing. Is not our duty as a parent also about saying to them, yes, you want to be this free-living, non-materialistic, what have you, but the system doesn't allow for it easily. Oh, oh well, I, then I've come across... No, I'm not saying you do. I don't mean, just... I don't mean, you know, they've got to earn a living, they've got to pay for where they live, they've got to buy their own food, they've got mm. to pay their taxes, absolutely. And we, we, and we have, a, a, I mean, the pair of us have got a work ethic off the scale. Yeah. So they see what hard work is, and that's very important that they know that. 
Um, yeah, I'm not suggesting you're even chasing saying, not, no, 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 absolutely. World. But even chasing material wealth, this is my point. And this is where I get really frustrated about things like on other conversations where we've talked about makeup or fashion. It works on every level in every part of your life, even when you think it's not working on your life. What does? The material dictating, yeah. the, the material, the pressures, the being part of it. However much you don't want to be part of it, even by not being part of it, you're part of it. Yeah. This- I believe that this generation, there's a part of this generation, though, and I'm, I'm sure some of you are listening, kids, um, that, like our girls, are sick and tired of the cost of everything. Yeah. Like, we sent them out with some money the other day, didn't we? We said, go to Westfield, buy whatever so, you well, want. They came back and they went, we didn't buy a thing. So why? Well, we go to a second-hand shop, we'll get yeah. it on Depop, we'll do this, we'll I do that. And, there's, and I love this. I love this generational push I against just this. spending overpri- on they won't overpriced do it. shit. They won't do it. They yeah. won't go. But it's the same idea behind people not wanting to get on overcrowded trains. Yeah. Why should they spend £1,000 yeah. a out month? Out of lockdown, we're going, fuck off, yeah. actually. Yeah, fuck I don't want to spend God knows how much on train fares yeah. and the yeah. train doesn't come and I'm, and packed, I don't have in a chair. Like a, I'm packed in like a bloody sardine Absolutely. to sit in an office to miss out time with my loved ones. Sod you. Mm. This, I'm excited about what the world could, how the world could turn out potentially. Kids... You but can I do, do this. <laughs> but sometimes I do worry, and I think most parents would relate to this. There are times, we're going to look at the socials that people yeah, are sending because there's some really meaningful stuff. But I just want to say this. There are times as a parent when you can see your children either struggling or going through difficult times, whether it be bullying or anxiety, whatever it is that they're going through, or, you know, they've been dumped by someone. And there is an acute pain where I often, when I'm in that situation, don't have an answer if they're feeling or they say to me or their eyes look at me and sort of say, why did you bring me into this world to go through this pain? Because there is, you can't prevent your children from experiencing unhappiness. It's an unrealistic mm. goal. And Well, I think sometimes when you're codependent, as we both that. are, it's very, I think this is where we sometimes really fail as parents because we are trying to often fix stuff in ourselves. We're both rescuers. It's a huge fault in our parenting. We too often don't allow them to just have whatever is going on, yeah. you know, and we want to rescue them out of that situation because of whatever needs we had to be rescued yes. in other situations. Yes. And I think that also is a part of me being a mum. I think I wanted to fix things that I felt weren't fixed in me. For and who? I wanted, yeah, but I wanted to <laughs> fix them through my children. Yeah. And that is kind of... Um, I only realised this as I went on because, again, I was all instinct that that's not fair. Mm. You know, I see sometimes when I see a reflection of something I don't like in myself in my children and I get angry with them for... I get irritated because I can see myself in them. And then I want to try and fix that. You know, it's so messed up. Yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing is, though, I mean, you know, being a human is about having an ego. You know, Freud said, you've got the ego, you've got the id. You can't, you know, the ego is about self. The ego is about Mm. self-importance and promoting oneself as an important thing. We can't help that to something, otherwise we wouldn't breathe. No, I was Googling But sometimes, but sometimes Mm. the very, you know, it's it's a truism. It's it's Mm. an indisputable truism to say that having a child is necessarily an egotistical act. It's necessarily that but it's not always necessarily a negative thing because Hmm. we have egos we have to have ego (laughs) but this morning i was googling retreats to sort out one's ego Oh, really? Because I want a smaller ego. I really want a smaller ego. We need a, ego. We, yeah, because we're quite but crowded I, in this room at the moment, <laughs> aren't we? But the only way to reduce an overinflated ego is to bring up your insecurities. <laughs> it's to because, fart. Because that's what happens <laughs> yeah, yeah, when your true. ego is screaming and shouting. It actually comes from a place of insecurity. So yeah. to get that balancing act 
you know, in you know, to level out a bit is is really hard. And 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 that's what I think when it's out of kilter. That's when you can lose your way with your kids as well. It's when it's the thing that worries me the most sometimes though is when you're out and about and you see parents and you think, why are they being so controlling of their children, so sort of cross and angry and abusive? And of course, that's only ever a slice of their entire parenting, so you mm. don't know what's going on elsewhere. But I do worry sometimes that there is a style of parenting a little bit like owning a dog, which is about, I just want to control something. Oh, God, definitely, definitely. And that worries me. Now, before we record each episode of our podcast, we ask you to get involved on social media. Hashtag Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you want to get in touch on our Instagram, it's at Nadia Sawala and Family. On Twitter, at Nadia Sawala. And if you're a little bit scared of Nadia and you're a little <laughs> bit worried that she might tell you off, you can always come to lovely, cuddly old me at, <laughs> at, on Instagram at Mark underscore Adderley. A-double-D-E-R-L-E-Y. Here's some comments. I'm only going to do first names because some of them are quite personal and I don't want necessarily people to be compromised. So Kirsty says, I wanted a family of my own and always dreamed of being able to give them everything I didn't have. And I think that's a very common thing. You've said that. I've thought that. Lisa says that, doesn't she? Yeah. And I mean, for me, that really manifests itself in wanting to, and that's the sadness I still feel about my eldest girls, is that I wanted to give all my children a present father. And through just sheer geographics, one couldn't, and circumstance, one couldn't always. Um, Appleby, I've always been very maternal and wanted children. Goes back to the maternal instinct. Um, do you think the paternal instinct can be as strong? I mean, I've always been a huge yeah. advocate of the paternal. I would, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do find it a, a little bit frustrating sometimes how there's a hierarchy of maternal versus paternal. I think the paternal instinct is massive. But I suppose because we know that it's driven by estrogen, isn't it? It's a hormonal thing. So just the physicality of it yeah. is that we there's a stronger urge if it's being fed from that. And I think there are going to be, be more, more people with a strong maternal instinct than there are a strong paternal instinct. But yeah. that's not to deny the person that has a strong paternal instinct. Yeah, curious. That's an interesting definition, actually. I, I quite like that. That kind of explains it to me. Uh, T-Taxi. I wanted small people that had my DNA to love them. Ah. ah you see, and intriguing. how important is it that people, that children look like the person yes. well, as well? Yes, well, there's huge effort put what's in that. What's that? I mean, what's that about? I'm, I'm, neither of my daughters look like me. All, the, all your girls look like you. Yeah, but the weird thing was, and I won't say who, I knew someone once who would go to great lengths whenever I met them and their children go, I'd say, oh, doesn't your child look just like... And before I could say it, they'd go, no, they don't look like anyone but themselves. Oh, yeah. And you I'd be like, person. well, it's not actually true. It's all right to come it's from... It's all right. It's all right it's to look like someone. It's human nature to look like your tribe, to want to look like your tribe. I love this one from Mrs. DB. Accidental conception times two plus wanting a boy equals four fabulous children. Oh. So accidental conception. I mean, obviously, you know, the accident... I think it's yeah. about embracing the accident if, you know... If it's what you want. If it's what you want, absolutely. Uh, Liz says, wanted child with husband as they are a part of both of you, plus I was never lonely again. Loneliness. Yes, that worries me, doesn't it? When you when you think about feeling your loneliness, because of course they do grow up and they and they grow away, and that's the really scary thing for somebody. Loneliness coming. Yeah. Really. You see, I didn't have I didn't have a sense of loneliness when I had mine. But I think now I'm so used to a kind of loneliness in me that it's just normal. See, I think I'm going to retreat back as a parent to being an only child, Mm. and I'll probably just be another room, so I don't annoy you. 
Uh, oh, lovely Kaz. We could always foster children. Lovely Kaz says, my mum, your friend Kaz says, mm. my mum told me she had me so she could have something to love. Oh, Kaz, and you are so lovable. She is, she's adorable. Uh, Jade says, I was mentally unwell and found out I was pregnant in hospital. I felt it was a sign to recover in terms of mental health. Mm. In a mental, oh, she found out she was pregnant in a mental health mm. hospital, and it was a sign to recover. Oh, wow, sweetie! So something that you know, I suppose sometimes you know. Oh, well, I mean, a child I say can... I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for having children. Well, I agree. Now, I didn't have them thinking, right, I'm going to have children and then I'm going to sort my life out because I didn't know my life was a mess. It's only once <laughs> I had children that I went, oh my god, yeah. I've got to sort myself out. I can't be like this and have children. Yeah. Yeah. Starting straight away with when I was pregnant, not being able to drink and not being able to smoke. Yeah, and I'd smoked and drank like a lunatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. suddenly I was like, oh, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, I must admit, I mean, I've often said and it. And then um, as soon as you take the drink and the cigarettes away, yeah. you start looking at your mental health mm. and then you start questioning everything about yourself and then, am I a good friend? Am mm. I a good um, daughter? Am I a good this? Am I a good that? No, 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 no. OK, I need to make all of this better so that I'm better for my children. Well, I know with Maddie, for a fact, it was not about, I'm not sort of prioritising the experience of Maddie being a, becoming one of my children above any of the others because it's all equivalent. But I would say that the third strike and you're out was in me. Yeah, when I look back with hindsight, I realised that something in me said, you can't go through the carnage and chaos Mm. again because I was drinking when Maddie was born. Mm. Uh, And I knew I was going to do exactly the same. I was going to screw up our relationship. I was going to end up leaving you. We're going to end up splitting up. It's going to be terrible. And, you know, that third strike, three strikes and you're out. And I think my mental health crisis, the act of us having a child, certainly shocked me. Mm. into reality well also you were older you were very young when you had your other ones and you were growing up you know and um what's great about you is you've always admitted to izzy and fleur that you've messed up and where you want to do better and that's that's an amazing thing for a child to hear it's quite quite something actually when i look back and i think i do admit to izzy and fleur and yet you know izzy's now 27 I was four years younger than her, I know, making mistakes. Crazy. And you know, if you think of the mistakes crazy. that we're all making at twenty-seven, I was making. You know, well, my mistakes that, we're making right now. No, at but also it's really helped me. Listener, if you have any, if you know who Nanny Dye is, my mum, it's helped me massively come to terms with a lot of what what has been difficult in my relationship with Nanny Dye. Um, Sarah let's, let's, says, I wanted an extra little piece of my husband to love. I know it sounds oh, cheesy, but it's oh, true. Oh, I love that. It is nice, isn't it? Sarah, then the first child was so amazing, I went on to have three more. Love them all so much. Oh I suppose you God, experienced I one that's that. brilliant. Yearned for children, maternal instinct from dawn. Uh, Monahan, joy, simple as, but then I only have one. One was enough. Oh. Uh, because I wanted to someone love someone utterly on my own terms. Julie. Mm, unconditional love. Unconditional love, absolutely. Uh, Butterbird, uh, I want Butlerbird. I wanted four children to have a big family because I always thought having one sibling was boring. Mm. Um, always wanted a big family. Claire, uh, I was always isolated in my si- siblings because I was in my mum's mistake and I wanted my own family. I was my mum's mistake. I was my mum's mistake. I wanted my own family. Oh. So she, you were isolated amongst your siblings. Oh, oh that's my God. so sad. That's like the saddest thing. Naz. Oh, sweetie. Big hug through the mic. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, to nurture and love, to create something with my hubby, to become a family legacy. Mm. Biological Yes, how much of it is our fear of death and wanting to leave... To live on, I suppose. Claire says to experience the unconditional love you hear of. It is that idea that it happens mm. to someone else and you want to be part mm. of the club, don't you? And that is a huge... That's the social thing again. It's quite a benevolent mm. social thing, but it's like, well, people do that. Mm. I mm. want to do that. Mm. Um, and that's it, really. 
Oh, and there was lots more. So thank you. We didn't thank get you. to everybody, but thank you so much. As wow. always, it really enriches these conversations yeah. for us. Even if we haven't read them out, we always read them all. Before we do And the it chat. really helps us think in yeah. a deeper way about whatever we're talking about. So yeah. thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, there we go. Let's go. Should we go? Should we? Do you think we'll become grandparents? I hope so, but you can't have it all. You know, I no. I, I got to do whatever I wanted till I was 38, 39. You know, so for those of that. my friends that had them when they were younger and sacrificed a lot younger, yes. then they get the joys of grandparenting. I, I, I hope so. I'll probably be a step-grandmother, which will be great. <laughs> I think you'll be a great-grandmother. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you'd like to comment on any of the topics we've discussed today, we'd love you to get in touch and use the hashtag Confessions of a Modern Parent. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Nadia Sawala. And on Instagram, it's at Nadia Sawala and family. And if you fancy getting in touch with me, it's at Mark underscore Adderley. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review. Tell your friends and get involved. And you can hear more episodes of Confessions of a Modern Parent on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Ta-da! Bye. <laughs>